Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with your news. On the community calendar, parents and ironic teens rejoice as we welcome the touring Howie the Happy Hound show, performing such classics as Wheels on the Bus and the Hokey Pokey. A piece of advice, listeners. If Howie's emotionless, stitched-on eyes frighten you, remember, it's just a grown man in his underwear wearing a fur suit. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Hello again, constant readers, and welcome back to another episode of Dairy Public Radio. This is your host, Benjamin Graham, here with my fellow hosts, Josh Kahn. How's it going, everybody? And CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm excited for this week's episode because we're actually talking about a book I hadn't even heard of. I, I have tried to keep up uh, with King over the years, but I fell off a little between Under the Dome and um, anything else. <laughs> because I got some feelings about that book. I but I hadn't even heard book. of this book, Joyland. I'm real excited to get started, and I know for this week, CM is going to be uh, be leading our discussion. CM, what did you think of the book so far? Yes, thanks, Ben. So this book, Joyland, was published in 2013, and it is a hard case crime novel about a college student named Devin who takes a summer job at an amusement park called Joyland. And what unfolds from there is a ghost story slash murder story, which is all I'll say about the overall plot for now in our part one episode, we'll <laughs> because we'll get two more. Because it hasn't happened yet. And, <laughs> yes, and that. Um, <laughs> so this story is told first person in the past tense. And that gives a reader some insight or kind of like a teaser into what's going to unfold that summer. So there's a lot of foreshadowing from the narrator, which is yeah. kind of... Something he does a lot, actually. <laughs> I think I like it. I, I do, too. I enjoy it. Um, Sometimes so... I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> you got some feelings about this I, I, book, Josh? I, I do. God, I have some feelings. And I cannot wait to dive into it. Oh, well, yeah. Let, let's get into a little bit of the story. Um, it starts with Devin's walk to work every morning. And he mentions the boy, the woman, and the dog, which is kind of an odd way to start a story because that's going to come up again and again in this first part of the book, and it's pretty meaningless for the readers at this mm-hmm. point. Did that stand out to you in either way, the way this kicks off and in those three characters he mentions? Yeah, I, I like, you know, the day in the life kind of start to his uh, story was nice i was like all right puts me in this character's state of mind the uh actually i read the first half of this book twice and okay. going back and knowing the details i know now and mm-hmm. filling in those blanks i'm like oh this is much cleaner because there's also a couple times where he refers to the three of them by name before he's met them in the story he's telling mm-hmm. so sometimes it's the boy and the dog and sometimes it's mike and sometimes yeah. it's Anne, and some like so it, it jumps around, and so every time I'm like, wait, do I know who this character is yet? Because I'm not sure. Kinda. I've met so many goddamn characters. <laughs> I did not realize that these characters were referenced uh, in a pretty important scene until literally the the ending of this part one that, that we read today. In the story, Devin goes to work at Joyland, a kind of crummy-sounding carnival-slash-amusement park, and he meets a gypsy-style character, a uh, woman from Brooklyn that puts on a thick Romanian accent and reads poems and shit. And she tells him, uh, this summer you will meet a little girl in a red hat with a doll and a boy and his dog, and they will be important to you. And uh, as the story goes along... He, he meets the little girl, uh, important things happen, but I literally did not realize, I, I kept thinking, okay, when's this boy and the dog going to show up? Was, it's going to be something something big, obviously, and I did not realize until halfway through the book that the boy and the dog were literally in the first few pages. Right, yeah. So we already know that she is right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, I like that as a hard crime 
book. I wasn't expecting any supernatural. I don't know why I didn't expect anything supernatural in a Stephen King (laughs) book. I was like, he's going in a different direction. But uh, I think it's pretty cool that uh, there still is that element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really nice. Rosie is her name, or Madame Fortuna. Yeah, Madame Fortuna. And she's just one of the really interesting employees at Joyland. So Devin gets this job, and I want to talk about his job interview with Fred Dean, which is the employment officer, and then he meets one of the workers, Lane Hardy. And I really thought that his job interview was very charming. I I agree. I love all the characters in this book, honestly. It Definitely. took me a minute. All of the characters are very... Uh, Stephen King is good at writing, like, small bit characters that you just kinda, kinda like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. There's so goddamn many. <laughs> so many characters <coughs> in this goddamn book. But that, that's, I mean, I referenced it when we talked about Carrie in our the last episode mm. that we did on Carrie, that these are, for every flaw, they were charming characters. There were things that I liked about these characters. And this book, also the same thing. The first thing, I was just like, man, every person I'm meeting, there's something I'm interested in finding out more about. And and they feel like real people, yes. as opposed to goofy cartoons, which is another thing that kind of happens in some, some Stephen King books. Right. Except that, that Lane Hardy apparently looks like a cartoon character, by like the description that he looks like a cartoon <laughs> carnival barker. I kept trying to think, <laughs> if I was going to cast that character as an actor, who would I cast? Jude Law from Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> well, there you go. I love that. that was <laughs> That's who Lane Hardy is, is Jude Law in my head. I'm glad you guys mentioned how much you like the characters because I thought that I was going to have to defend the book <laughs> to both of you. I wasn't sure what you'd think about it. And the characters for me, I thought were very well-constructed and charming. And he sometimes writes characters that are just very frustrating and gratuitous and like caricatures of people that Mm. they seem to exist for the sole purpose of pissing us off and (laughs) I feel like he's taking his time building this world for us and giving us all this character development which hopefully has a good payoff in part two which we'll find yeah I, I, I actually about halfway through um I started reading it pretty late but like 30 pages in I I had messaged the group chat we're in and said, oh boy, guys, I'm struggling here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for my own reasons, but also I was just like, I can't get into this. And I don't know what happened about halfway in. Uh, something just clicked. And I, I couldn't help but thinking this this is almost not even like reading a Stephen King book. Uh, I can't tell who exactly it reminded me of. But it, it's so outside of what he usually writes. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of love it. Joyland for me feels like a real place, like a, yeah. a place I could go or that I would work for the summer just to have an interesting summer. Yeah, this this could be someone's this could be someone's uh, biography. It's like well, the, it could be their autobiography. Like and, that's the the style that it's written in. And therein lies my problem. Okay, <laughs> I want I want to hear this. When you sent this message and I asked you about is it content or story because I have feelings, mm. it is that. Uh, I don't know that I would continue to read this book if I didn't know it was Stephen King. Like, if going from the perspective, like, of this is, theoretically, this character wrote this book mm. and is this is a published piece of this person's life. That's the right. way it is written. The way they write annoys me. First off, it's the all the little asides... Like mm-hmm. all of the little things that are in in parentheses, like uh, when he one one of the examples that I highlighted uh, it somewhere in the book is that when they talk about the Carolina spin and he says go up there where the air is rare, and then a couple you know spots down the book he references the Carolina spin and in parentheses where the air is rare, like it's like he'd be like that fucking guy who's talking to you and he like. You were there when you both heard the same joke, but then he makes the joke and nudges you with his elbow, like, where the air's rare, remember? You know? Oh, man. Like, I yeah. think I'm like, that yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, and he does it with the talks. Like, as we get into the talk, there's mm-hmm. so many times where he's mm-hmm. like, 
I reference, uh, I did this thing, or this in the talk. Yeah, yeah I know it's that in the talk, because I learned it when you did. <laughs> we learned it at the same time together. Stop stop I, giving me these asides like we're pals. I, could, I, I, I get that a little. Um, the talk, of course, being uh, carny talk. Uh, that carnies have this this slang that they use. They call the the uh, customers are rubes or conies. Um, there's and there's a million mm-hmm. um, examples throughout the book, and I I agree. Uh, I think they could give the audience he could give the audience a little more um, faith that. To, they can read context clues. Yeah, but it's um, it's not even that. I get it, that that implication. It's that like you do, the fact that it's it's called that uh, that pops thing is called a bang shy mm. does not affect anything in the story. It does, I don't I don't need to be reminded that it's called a shy every time you work it. If you just say I work the bang shy, cool. I will probably I more likely than not I will remember that that is something you called it right. because I learned it when you didn't. <laughs> we learned it at the same time. That's fair. And That's it just fair. just like it didn't wear on me at the beginning because it was, you know, just a few times here and there. And first it happened a lot of times when he talked about Wendy, uh, his his first love. And that was like, okay, that's kind of an emotional processing thing, like where the the asides are, they're informative, but they're Mm. not the point. Later, it just becomes, I'm doing this thing, fun fact, moving on. It does nothing to increase anything, and I was so annoyed. Speaking of Wendy, I'm I'm sorry, but can we just talk about how he describes his sexual relationship with her because it please, really irritated please, me. Please, for days, let's talk about his sexual relationship. Also, can I note that uh, I've told both of you this before, that I thought Devin was a girl. <laughs> I love I that. I thought Devin was a girl until the interview with Fred Dean and that he specifically says he. And I was like, it's a dude! <laughs> Just because he has emotions and no, not I, used to that. <laughs> what... I I think maybe because we just got done with Carrie and my brain has been in <laughs> female protagonist mode. Okay. And there, I, I didn't remember any other spot where it said he was a male. Mm. So I just assumed because I didn't. I mean, I didn't read any descriptions of the book. I just started the book, went right in. I didn't, you know, read yeah. the back cover or anything. Right. Where you usually will get that information pretty easily. Well, how forward thinking of you? I was just <laughs> yeah. gonna say that's very progressive, Josh. Good job. <laughs> Hashtag me too. <laughs> I just I thought I was like, oh man, like, you know, the the him and his, uh, her and her lady haven't had sex yet, and like, oh, they're probably just figuring things out. Young college lesbians trying things sure. out. Like, I don't I don't know. It's not my lifestyle. And then so I don't know how to be. You weren't tipped off when he talks about getting an over the pants HJ. That's after that's after the oh, okay. The, okay. the interview. So I mean, to be fair, when it when it rains it pours and once i found out it was a dude the context clues really started making more sense i'd like to think that if i hadn't figured it out by then i would have figured it out at the over the pants hj my problem with that was he's he's upset because okay i'm just gonna read the i have a highlight sure she always drew back and i never pressed her god help me i was being gallant i have wondered often since what would have changed for good or ill had i not been what I know now is that gallant young men rarely get pussy. That line made me so mad. <laughs> I was so mad reading that line. I was too. <laughs> but I, like, it's one of those things where I'm like, 21 year old virgin. I get it. Like, yeah, I, I, I get. Car- but I get the I character, get the character. Thinking that. But this is a 60 year old man writing reflecting yes. about that. Like, I, if this was something he'd like said to a buddy venting, I would have been like, totes and appropes. <laughs> but I get it. Like, I get that yeah, you're, you're angry, you're and I dumb, get that you're, you're a dumb, you're a dumb kid. kid. But you, this is a 60-year-old man <laughs> who is still carrying around a weird boner for his Oh, girlfriend. I did not even th- I thought you were talking about Stephen King. <laughs> like, oh, it's so weird that Stephen King would, would write that. And I was like, but it's in character. I didn't even think that it is being written in the character yeah. of 60-year-old Devin in the present. Yeah, he hasn't learned, he hasn't learned much about women. Okay. In I mean, we all know Stephen King years. is a feminist, so there's no way. Yeah. 
This oh, is I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It, that is super weird. It, yeah, it, it bothered me. Like, well, because I, I think at that point you also don't know how old the Devin is in story writing time. You only know how old he is in the context of what's happening. Right. It wasn't until later that he specifically says he's a sixty-year-old man still hung up on his first love. Uh, that he like says his age, and I thought about that, and I was like, oh, gross. Yeah. You're still you're still hanging on to some uh, some old school misogyny, my friend. Yeah, he was not reflecting on what he was thinking then. He's ugh. yeah, that's like that's a current yeah. feeling he has now. Like that's something that he learned and holds true. Yeah, you got to be forceful. Yeah. When women are hysterical, you slap them. When they don't put out, you take it. <laughs> God. In okay. the upstairs of the Cavalier, if you can. <laughs> like like a cob of corn. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So back to <laughs> the story. So he's making his way out. He accepts the job. And he runs into Lane in the parking lot. And Lane gives him some really great advice about summer lodging um, with this awesome character, another awesome character, Mrs. Shoplaw. And then it gets weird. He tells him that the horror house is haunted, and then he's like, "Okay, breaks over. Uh, ask Miss Shopla about yeah. it." Yeah, <laughs> peace. <laughs> Flips his his derby cap and walks back inside because so, he's a cartoon carnival barker. Yes. <laughs> Any feelings on Emelina Shopla? I adore her. Mm-hmm. She like she's just so she's just so accommodating. Like she's she's very much she she knows what she's about. She's mm-hmm. got her rules. She's interviewed all these people. She's presumably done this for years. And the and way her... he describes her, what he thinks she's going to be like, and then this woman who actually answers the door. This is Dickensian. Yeah. Yes, that was the phrase. <laughs> and um, she like she seems super nice, and the room seems super cool, and it's just like, <laughs> all right. It sets up like every person he's meeting is a positive person, yeah, which is exactly what person. he needs See, in the time of, he's like going through. Uh, I feel about Miss Shaplaw the way I feel about, honestly, pretty much all of the characters, Joyland itself, it's the reason I think I'm, I'm getting to really love this book, is reading about this kid's experiences. First of all, let me say, I relate to several of the things in this book recently going through a uh, long-term breakup. Ladies. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, listening to Devin's experiences moving uh, uh, across the country, living in this uh, beautiful seaside town, working in this carny, uh, there is a part of me that I say, I want that. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, been through some shit. We've all been dumbass 21-year-old kids that were going through some uh, stupid, inconsequential bullshit. And just the idea of running away to this uh, kind of idyllic, um, nostalgic-sounding, crazy job appeals to... Uh, the inner me that's always wanted to run away and join the circus. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's perfect. Yeah, it's I, a great escape. I yeah. see why he's writing about this later because mm-hmm. it's it, what a wonderful time in your life, and for that to happen at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, if only we all had some Miss Shoplaws and yeah, Rosies right. and ladies. and I mean, I I well, I did this in in real life. You, um, you ran away. You, you and were I, I did not run right away and join the circus. <laughs> Um, in college, uh, I was a theater major for a year before I realized that being a theater major in, uh, the middle of the Midwest is the biggest waste of time in the entire world. Uh, sorry, theater majors, but moved to a big city. I went through some rough times and instead of facing, uh, them and trying to fix my problems, I ran away and lived in Disney World for a few months. That's so awesome. And, like, reading this, it, it reminds me of that so much. But also, uh, in the book, several of them, th- there's some shit talking about Disney World, that it's too scripted and it's too uh, corporate, and that is 100% true. <laughs> there are no Miss Shop Laws and no Mr., uh, uh, what's the guy that owns the place? Mr. Easterbrook. Easterbrook. Mm-hmm. There are no Mr. Easterbrooks in Disney yeah. World. 
Um, it's a little more sterile than that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, reading this and and reading about all the characters, uh, it's it, there. It's all so endearing. Yeah, it, uh, endearing is a great word for yeah. this book, and especially this first half where really nothing's happened. More, I mean, like as yes. far as like the because we you know going into it, it's. A, a hard crime novel. Mm-hmm. We know that, but none of the hard crime has happened yet. Right, which so I'm hoping, given because Ben has commented in the past about you know the first parts of the book are really awesome, and then the ending just falls apart. So <laughs> that, maybe, that's true. maybe since the we first the part, yeah. Not the so first the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hope for the best. Uh, can we take a second to discuss Wendy Keegan so that we don't have to talk about? that bitch anymore yes <laughs> sure because she's the worst she is the worst she's terrible yeah all right that was it all right okay. she wendy keegan <laughs> no, okay so so wendy I, I am not sure what wendy means to Devin. Mm. uh he he's you know he says envisions them getting married him being a writer them having a family she's gonna open a boutique that she always dreamed of like that's their dream life uh she gives him over the pants hjs uh and under a staircase you know classic romance yeah, yeah. and then sends him the, a breakup postcard isn't it a postcard well she sends him a really shitty postcard and then sends him a breakup letter that's what yeah yeah and so the the breakup doesn't even happen face to face there's all these implications that she might have had moved on with someone else the where where she was going mm-hmm. and he so he still doesn't know what's true or what is yeah, it there's because, no closure yeah. it seemed like she was hoping that he would get the hint and just go away right and he didn't like a and real so, bitch yeah and so then she had to send <laughs> like him this so ridiculous letter. it's so immature like everything about it is so immature mm. and the so the question that i have being like i said what does she mean to him because there are so many things where he, you know, still talks about like the first love, and I have I have all these scars, and I still think about her. And then there's other times where he says, uh, like, Wendy Keegan uh, is a name that doesn't mean anything to me. That's not that's not true. That's clearly not true yeah. because you keep bringing her up. Granted, the breakup is a big yeah. part of what well, drives him personally through this story, but I, it, it's just. No, no, what, what is it? What does she mean? Well, everything, or does she mean nothing? There's a there's a section of the book, and unfortunately, I took. No notes. Uh, but <laughs> there's there's a section where he he talks about how the brain will do anything to save itself. It sure. will uh, come up with any justification to save itself from harm. And I think that's what that is, is when he is saying, you know, when uh, his best friends, Tom and Aaron, are, uh, they first learn that this Wendy broke up with him. And he, he pulls the 20-year-old guy reaction of, yeah. You know, it sucks, but I'm cool. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it, it, it's He even says it's just like, you know, the, the brain will do what it said, what it can to save itself. Sure. Yeah, I think I think it makes sense. I think I feel like um, there, there were a lot of sections that resonated with me uh, about the breakup. I can't remember any of them. Because every time they happened, I had to put the book down and walk away for a few minutes. I, I, I felt like it was pretty real. Yeah, I mean, and I've kind of equated it to probably like the worst breakups I've ever had. Like there was things in there that I felt were very honest, uh, very honest reactions. Like when he, like there's a thing where he talks about like, I wanted something bad to happen to her. Mm. Like I wanted her to like to suffer and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't really want that. I just like, I just wanted to think it, even though I, I couldn't actually like really feel that way. I just wanted to just to feel better. Yeah. And I was like, I get, I get that kind of overreaction, especially your first love, like mm-hmm. that puts you in a weird place. Well, and since she had broken up with him, it's, it's. I think it's always harder, than too, because you don't really have that. It wasn't your choice. Right. You feel powerless, and you. The way she did it too, he didn't really have closure. And I think part of it, I got the impression that he felt like she checked all of the boxes for what he was, uh, his life was supposed to look like with a partner, maybe, at least at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so let's jump in again. Um, oh, Miss Shopla, she feeds Devin lunch, which I love because what landlady feeds you lunch? <laughs> I'm serious. I, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a Campbell's soup from oh, a can, and 
Yeah, but uh, grilled cheese. And a grilled cheese. That makes the Campbell soup. <laughs> so anyway, so she's feeding him and she's giving Five him advice. Restaurant. Yeah, because she houses a lot of the summer employees of Joyland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she's giving him great advice. And then she starts talking about the murder story or ghost story that is a murder story but also a ghost story yes that i was very excited about that the way that she tells this story is really effective it it was for me Mm -hmm. and this is the part that i'm excited to talk about now is the the mystery portion so let's let's go through the story okay so she's she's telling devin about this horror house ride and this young woman linda gray gets murdered inside of the horror house and they never find the guy, although they do have pictures of him because, mm-hmm. as we learn later, the women who work at Joyland, if they look a certain way, I assume, <laughs> get to be these like cute little girls that run around and Hollywood get, girls, yeah, Hollywood girls, yeah, Hollywood girls. get the uh, Coney's, like Coney Island, yeah, to to give them money for pictures, and mm-hmm. they have this guy with Linda Gray and all these photos, but they can't really tell what he looks like. So what she says about it. Is it really a ghost story? I've never been in that damn fun house, so I don't know for sure, but it's a murder story. That much I am sure of. And then later she says, I would think about the man who went into Horror House with his arm around Linda Gray and wearing two shirts. Two shirts because he used the outer shirt to mop up all the blood and then left yeah, it in the horror house. He murdered her and then took off a shirt and yep. threw it into the dark. Yeah. The man with the tattoo bird on his hand and the straight razor in his pocket. And I was like, chilling, chilling. Slits her throat, throws her out of the ride, and then takes the rest of it just to clean it up. And they find bloody clothes. And the one clue, the one clue we have, and throughout this book, there's no real indication that this is a murder mystery book. This is all coincidental, almost. It's just a story. Yeah. But we know that the murderer, who is never caught has this bird tattoo, the, the the head of a bird tattooed on his hand. And I, I wanted to ask you guys, obviously this is going to become important in the second half of the book, I would hope. Oh God, I would hope so. I Honestly, <laughs> interesting choice if it's just never it's mentioned just, it's again. It's a red herring, this whole story. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you guys, if this is a murder mystery, A... Is the man with the bird on his hand someone we've met? Or is it going to be just a rando uh, coney that he sees with a bird on his hand? Because I have a prediction. I don't want to say because I've already read it. She actually, so I can't. Oh. It's like, so this is just between you yeah, and me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, okay, so, but I want to CM hear. has to leave the and room. I'm, I'm, She's I'm not allowed to yeah, talk about this. I'm not going to look at CM, so I <laughs> sure. don't, uh, gonna, don't see Ben and her. I are going to look into each other's eyes and have this conversation <laughs> so that we don't look at CM. Okay, I have a prediction. Go on. Um, At the park, uh, the workers are divided into teams. Um, Dev and Tom and Aaron are on... Team Beagle. Team Beagle. They're all named after dogs because there's this dumbass dog character. <laughs> that uh, is... Happy the... Uh, Howie the Happy Hound? Howie the Happy Hound that Dev is way too into. He's, like, he's it's really good at it. kind of weird <laughs> how into he is being this, this mascot. <laughs> um, but they're all divided into teams and they, they mention a team Corgi and... Uh, there's Team Doberman is mentioned when the three of them, Dev, Tom, and Aaron, go to ride the Haunted House ride for the first time. Mm-hmm. And as they're getting on the ride, they meet the team lead of Team Doberman, and he's an asshole. I do not remember his name. Once again, I didn't take notes. Um, but he's just sure. described as this asshole that's like, hey, you guys came to the park on your day off, dumb kids, whatever. And in his brief description, he it, it is mentioned that he is wearing these gloves. Mm-hmm. Now, the gloves have been brought up throughout the book. Uh, Devin is told that he should get a pair of these thick work gloves right. to wear. But I thought it was strange that it just, in this, they barely describe this guy but it's pointed out that he's wearing these thick gloves and he works at the haunted house ride. Yeah. 
I, it's a complete it, shot in the dark. It could be. But it's suspicious to it, me. Yeah. And uh, if That's it does happen to that. be uh, that guy, I just want to be able to rub it in you guys' face. <laughs> <laughs> that that you solved it? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I was trying to figure that out, too, like, because it's it's Stephen King, so it could go either way. It could either mm-hmm. be someone that we've seen, or it could just be some rando oh, that we eventually find out, because that's the kind of person Stephen King is. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, again, we're, we're going in the context of 60-year-old Devin is writing this book. I don't think he would write a book about the apprehension of the Funhouse Killer, because that's what they started calling him, was the Funhouse Killer, because mm-hmm. he killed four girls... At, over, different at different parks, parks. yeah, and I, d- I doubt he would write a story about and mention it if it was just like, oh, and then they caught that guy. That's that's a good point. So I guess I feel like it's someone that we know, and I, I have a weird guess that is probably very incorrect, but I don't know why I'm so suspicious about it. But I'm very suspicious about Fred Dean, the the guy that hired him. Yeah, I just. Huh. I don't know why, but he was the just guy like, that's been in like one scene. He's been in a couple. Uh, okay, but, yeah. like he's been kind of like intermittently here and there, and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I thought why because he's mentioned just enough to be around, and he's mm-hmm. a name that stays going around. But they also mentioned that like he's been gone for a long time, and this is like his mm-hmm. first year back, and all this stuff. Oh yeah, and so like there was like little things where I was like maybe I don't know. All right, third guess it's Dev. Oh I'm shit! <laughs> I am pretty. <laughs> He traveled through time. Based on the face CM just made. No, no, I'm sorry. That, no, that I face. now know that that's the truth. The book's ruined for okay, me. Okay, let's be clear. I made that face because Josh had this amazing outburst, and I had to look over at the recording to, to make, make sure, sure we weren't. Make sure I hadn't sorry, broken anything. No, I'm, I'm being very careful not to have a face right now. Okay. So anyway, yeah. let's talk about orientation, since I can't join in this yes. particular mm. piece of the Where conversation. we meet Easterbrook. Yes, I would like to read part of his introduction, like his speech to the new summer employees. He starts it off. This is a badly broken world full of wars and cruelty and senseless tragedy. Every human being who inhabits it is served his or her portion of unhappiness and wakeful nights. Those of you who don't already know that will come to know it. Given such sad but undeniable facts of the human condition, you have been given a priceless gift this summer. You are here to sell fun. I love the guy. Uh, he's such a cool character. Um, and we may cut this out because I don't know that it'll make sense to anyone but me or CM. The entire time I was reading, think of this. Mr. Easterbrook is the twinner of the guy from Nosferatu, a book written by Stephen King's son. What? I'm just going to say yes. (laughs) And uh, for you, that that sounded like gibberish. Um, (laughs) Wait until we get into our uh, Dark Tower discussions. I'm sure we will have entire episodes about it. It's going to be nuts, you guys. It'll happen. Now, uh, that speech is great and all, but my favorite line of that entire scene is Tom going, oh, he's the Jesus of fun. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, yeah, like it's just like that honest, like, oh, this guy's the Jesus of fun. And, and Tom, so it's Tom, Devin, and Aaron, these three friends. Um, Tom mm. is kind of the the goofy guy of the group, and of course, he and Aaron fall in love, and it's very sweet. Which is adorable. It's super adorable. And I also noticed on my second read through of this first half how early they basically clue in that the two of them are going to end up together. It's literally like it's the first paragraph. The first, yeah. The <laughs> like, yeah. They're, it's like, oh, it was pretty obvious that right. they had a thing for each other. But I didn't, well, they, he, he mentions it, like, at the very, very beginning of the book, before you've met these characters, mm. that he, like, he references the thing about them being in love and oh. have, that they've gone back. Because he says the, the greenhouse didn't affect my life until after such and such and such and such, and after right. they'd left and fallen in love. Mm-hmm. And so going back, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, they telegraphed that way ahead of time. And then Tom dies of cancer. Yeah, oh. bummer. Yeah. Real bummer. Yeah, that, th- there were a few parts of this book that I teared up. I'm not going to lie. Because the characters feel so real. It's like, no, I want Tom and Aaron to die at the same time holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's how couples okay. die, right? You yeah. know what part teared me up? What? Uh, embarrassingly. 
there's a scene when Dev is first leaving from college to go work at Joyland, and he spends just a night with his dad. And there's a scene where they are standing on his back porch talking, and they're having just one of the most realistic father-son, stoic, we're both feeling big things, but let's not talk about it moments that um, felt so real. And just as they're about to say, you know, basically like, I love you, son, these deer run across the backyard and Devin hugs his dad and says, I love you. And I literally just... <laughs> just like just ugly cry, oh, ugly cry. Uh, I am, I am not emotionally stable right now, guys. I might have mentioned that. Oh um, god, but yeah. no, that yeah, was there's been a lot of emotional. that and the the part with Tom, and um, the the part where where uh, Dev drives Aaron to yeah. the bus stop to go with Tom. There's some tear jerking moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and she she lays this passionate kiss on him and she's like, If I could have, I would have made you forget about that girl. But of course she was with yeah. Tom. And it, it I liked it yeah. For Tom. Was, I liked it that when she did that, I didn't feel betrayed on behalf mm-hmm, of Tom. Mm-hmm. I was like, if Tom was there, he would understand. It was just true. It was just was, so melancholy mm-hmm. and bittersweet. And that's kinda my aesthetic. I I dig it. It's a love story between yeah. Devin and Joyland. Yeah, yeah, it is. I have it's... A, a question though in regards to we we talked about as you brought up the the deer, mm. uh, and this is something that my limited Stephen King reading I have already noticed. So I'm sure you guys have noticed this: mm-hmm. how cavalier he is with major parts of someone's life like dead mom yeah the fact that he the, <laughs> the, the way you find out his mom is dead is that he goes i just didn't hope i just hoped i didn't have to play the dead mom card and i was like what <laughs> and he was like Why? talking about his dad still was it still wearing the wedding ring or something mm-hmm. like yeah. his dad not being over it yet it's like dude you're <laughs> pining after this girl who doesn't like you and you're giving your dad shit for missing your dead mom <laughs> yeah it was, it was just such a weird it like was weird th- way to just like drop a bomb about this person person's life just so haphazardly that's <laughs> play the dead mom card <laughs> jesus and that was like for me that that kind of undercut the the talk with his dad that at that very end part i still like it seemed yeah. like a very real very genuine thing but in the back of my head like there was that just that was kind of in my head like, i was kind of too ah, you are real cavalier about your dead mom it's almost and like just... that didn't fit. Like that was someone else saying that. Yeah. Okay. So we Lane teaches Devin how to man the ride for the Carolina spin in about five minutes. Where the <laughs> air is rare. Uh, well, I, oh, uh, I'm so glad cause... you said that. I did not remember. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> then, so then we get this like print version montage where he learns everything about the park how to do everything you know what um everyday life is going to look like over the summer and he also gets to wear the fur a lot which we kind of mentioned and it does not it's not as sexy as it sounds (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to talk about his first time in the fur and uh, mr easterbrook's role in that Mm. well there was some great hokey pokeying (laughs) and that was my (laughs) takeaway from that scene I, i did love that he threw off all of his clothes and like shouts zip me up I've gotta go to the wiggle waggle (laughs) like it's like the most serious thing in the world and then they like take him and everybody's being like word of advice if you get hot no one wants to see the dog pass out in front of kids well and it's made (laughs) that's real yeah Yeah. it's made to be this big deal though because Mr. Easterbrook is very like passionate about the park Mm -hmm. and the image and Howie the Happy Hound and concerned about how these children experience, you know, they're like dropped off in daycare basically with right. Howie and he's running late and everybody in the park likes Mr. Easterbrook so much. They're like, do not be late to that. Do a good job. Yeah, and he's like, why is he going to, you know, get mad at me? No, he's going to be sad and disappointed. And we don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants a sad Easterbrook. Yeah. So he impresses Mr. Easterbrook so much that he, he gets to wear the fur a lot that summer. 
That's like his main I, thing, which plays into one of the things Raxi or Razi had told him at the beginning. Mm, with the with the little girl first, I want to say about those suits. When I when I was in Disney World, I was not lucky enough to be a costumed character. Aww. It is what I originally auditioned for. I had to go to Chicago and do a silly dance, and I wanted to be Baloo so bad. Ah, oh, <laughs> you're doing a great right? Baloo. Right? Come on, I could rub my back on a post all day, ladies. <laughs> uh, but. I, I knew, because we, during orientation, we talk a lot about the costumes, and that is a very real thing of shifts in the costumes are like 10 minutes at maximum, or you will friggin' die. And that's insane. And, um... I just want to do it so bad! Let me be blue! <laughs> just for 10 Come minutes! Come on! I can uh, swing it. That's for just ten sorry. Minutes. I had Disney, to get that. Disney, if you're listening, just <laughs> give him what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like Devin's having a pretty good summer overall, at least on the outside. But other than constantly talking <laughs> about how he's suicidal, yeah, right. he's he's depressed. He's having suicidal thoughts. He's not sleeping. He's listening to the Doors and other it's sad something things. Something you would never do if you're not depressed. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's all about to catch up with him because Rosie and Lane decide to take him aside and and sort I of love like, that scene. Yeah, like hey, we've we've noticed this. It's it's a very a simple uh, back and forth, like where they they are the people who have more, more or less become Devin's work parents. Like those, like the just kind mm-hmm. of people he looks up to. So when they mm-hmm. pull him aside and he's like running through his mind everything he possibly could have done wrong, like what did I mess up? Who complained? What did I break? And then they're just like, hey, um, eat. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. like, it's all like, look, we can tell, even if you're like, you're not being honest and you're not like, you don't want to talk about it. You don't have to, but we can see that you've dropped like 10 pounds. You already didn't have a two. And, and so you're going through something. You can't say you're not because we know, but you don't have to talk about it. Just know that you have, you need to take care of yourself. And it's not because it's a liability to yeah. us. It's because we care. Like, you, you have become uh, someone very important to yeah. us. You've shown of all the greenies this year. It's like all the people that are new. They call it the, the oh, greenies. thanks, parentheticals. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Where the air is rare. Context <laughs> clues, Josh. Come on, we got this. No, but that they just... He's made an impression on everybody and everybody there genuinely cares about him which is yeah, it's it's a it's needs. the turning point where he goes from being like yeah this is a pretty cool summer job to like that felt like the point where after that it was okay this is what i do this is where i belong mm-hmm. this is uh everyone keeps telling him he has carny blood in him which uh, is an oddly endearing thing to say. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I think if someone walked up to me and they're like, you got some carny in your face, I'd be like, what now? <laughs> wait, wait, I, what? I wouldn't take it super well, but it, it becomes, uh, you know, this endearing thing. It is a very touching moment, which then is followed up with a very razzy moment where she gives him this warning, which is, I see sorrow and danger for you. And she reminds him again about the little girl with the doll, which is fortunate because 4th of July comes around not too long after that. He's going to have to wear the fur like 10 times because he's so good at it. And he still kind of has her warning in the back of his head. And because of that, he ends up doing something pretty impactful. Uh, He gives a little girl the Heimlich. A year before the Heimlich maneuver is a thing. Because he which was I a lifeguard? Was, I, I guess, something? Yeah. 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 But I like thought that was... Two summers before he took, like, he was bored and took a, a first aid that was yeah. a very weird portion of the book that yeah. Stephen King had to take a paragraph out to be like, listen, okay, <laughs> so this is an anachronism. I get it. Shut up. Don't write me a letter about this. He... Devin invents the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, but he does, yeah. He saves a little girl from choking on a hot dog. Uh, and he's wearing the suit. 
when yes. he does it, Howie saves her. Uh, well, his head well, falls. I mean, Headless Howie, Howie slash Headless Howie. Howie. He's got two heads. Uh, fun fact, Disney would fire you for that. Um, I bet, yeah. But Mr. Easterbrook would not. Yes. He would tell you he can't give you a bonus, but he would love to. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest thing a boss can tell you is, I really want to give you some money. Bye! <laughs> Well, and then the the parents want to thank him for saving a little girl, and it gets mm. huge publicity. And I think Mr. Easterbrook tells him he bring he that brought in like twenty grand yeah. worth of profits yep. into the park. So the he meets with the parents because they want to thank him, and the little girls. I like how he describes little girl. She's just sitting in a chair reading a magazine and just like yelling at <laughs> <out laughs> names. And they try to they give him a check for five hundred dollars, and he tears it up. That was so sincere. And I loved it. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, another thing that he, he, I, he... I just like Dev. He's a good guy. You, you're you rooting for him, you know? Yeah, just don't... For, even if he is kind of a, a dingus. <laughs> <laughs> for that him. is uh, kind of... Some would argue, Tom would argue, is is slowly throwing his life away. Right. Um, In, in the coming scenes. For a 21-year-old, though, to... To have that right, rationalization yeah. of like, mm-hmm. you might not be able to risk this money because I, you know, I'm telling you, telling me that you just started a business and you have another kid on the way. Yeah, and like to have that kind oh, it's of it's noble as shit. Yeah, yeah. it's so yeah. it's so noble and it just speaks uh, so much to his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the most important thing out of uh, saving the girl, besides you know saving someone, <laughs> but that Easterbrook gives him a favor, and which I loved this this part mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how far is that and, skipping well, ahead no, no, no we're, it, it happens right then when sure. he calls in the well, favors because, yeah, that's, yeah, what I yeah, so, that's what I meant yeah he, he gives him a favor and not much happens in between then because Tom, well, Aaron and Devin decide to ride the horror house yeah, on their day off to see if they can see Linda Gray's ghost of course Tom, Tom sees it because he's a skeptic and no one else does and he that's pretty effective too because he's the way he reacts to it and then the way he describes it with her holding out her arms like Mm -hmm. help me kind of and then it's shortly after that because Devin wants to see her and that's not the only thing he's still recovering from Mm -hmm. all this emotional turmoil but yeah we can we can definitely get to that I I love this this part after uh Tom sees the ghost and Devin right. saved the little girl and uh, he he's all all messed up. The summer's coming to the end to mm-hmm. to the end and he goes to see uh, uh, the psychic Rosie. Man, yeah, Rosie. And he essentially comes to her and he's like, listen up, are you bullshit or not? <laughs> What's the deal? Um and she hands him an envelope and says, This isn't what you came here for. You did not come here today to ask me about my powers. You you know what you came here today. Go do it, and then open this envelope when you're done. And he immediately goes to Mr. Uh, Mr. Brook. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Mr. Easterbrook and says, I'm calling in my favor. I, I want to be full-time. I want to stay on after the summer. And Mr. Easterbrook shakes his hand, and he stays on. He becomes a, he becomes a permanent mm-hmm. uh, hire at... Uh, at Joyland and then opens the letter and the letter says, you know, you want to work here full time. Yeah, you're you, going to ask to stay You're, you're going to ask. You know he'll say yes. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> I just wish she'd like popped up from behind <laughs> and been like finger guns, gotcha. <laughs> like, well, but run she, off, she like, did her oh. version of that though because she, she yeah. added in typical Razi fashion, she added another kind of ominous warning which oh was my god you saved the little girl but dear boy you can't, can't save, save everyone. everyone wow and that will be uh, i i think i have the feeling that's going to be most of the second act of our book which um which if we're taking guesses is going to center around um what what are their names max and annie mike Mike and, Mike, Mike and Anne. And I forget and the dog's Anne. name. Milo. Milo. Thank you. Uh, the the boy, uh, his mother, the boy in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Can't save everyone, Dev. Sick <sighs> little boy. 
Uh oh. Ah, <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be crying for the, <laughs> the second half of this book. I have a feeling. I uh, so that is a great prediction uh, the way she puts it in there. But I, we didn't talk about this beforehand when mm. that introduction. But I still think my favorite thing that she said to him was at the very beginning when he was like, "Oh, do you see a, a dark-haired woman in my future?" And she goes, "No, she's in your past." That, and I was like, yeah. "Oh yeah. God, <laughs> like oh. that is rough." <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I was thinking of Wendy. And I was like, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is not going to go the way you want it to, buddy. Um, future future Devin's already told us this doesn't work out. You <laughs> are still getting there. <laughs> You're catching up. So, yeah, that brings us to the end of part one. And I, I know I've already read it, but it's been a few years, so I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited to see what happens and really excited to remember which of your predictions is actually true because oh, i kind it of was vaguely, devin. it was devin oh, the whole time uh, yeah, it. yeah it was devin uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i i have to say like i said i'm i am enjoying it i'm enjoying the story mm-hmm. i'm enjoying the characters they do you see they worked in uh, blue chambray shirts yes i was <laughs> gonna bring that up i literally there's the section where he describes coming into work and he says, I was just wearing my, my work boots and my blue chambray shirt. I literally, <laughs> I literally yelled, yes, I'm vindicated. <laughs> like, to an empty room. To, to no one. Yeah, no, I was, I told you guys that's a thing. You, Yeah, I highlighted it because I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> if Ben doesn't bring this up, I have to. I, I completely forgot. Right. That was, had, had I brought notes that would have been triple underline. <laughs> it would have been a third of your notes. I am justified. Anyway, yeah, I, I love the book. I'm excited for uh, our next episode, guys. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Dairy Public Radio. I am Benjamin Graham. I'm Joshua Khan. CM Alexander. And I wish you long days and pleasant nights. Hey, everyone. CM Alexander here. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of Joyland. We would love to know who your favorite Funhouse Killer suspect is, so please leave us a comment where the air is rare, you know, on Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or on Twitter at Dairy Public. If you do leave us a comment, we may give you a shout out or use your comment on an upcoming episode. Please subscribe and give us a review. It helps us get out there. As always, send any questions or comments to us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Join us next time for Joyland Part 2 as we figure out who was right, Josh or Ben, or the silent CM. Goodbye, readers.